Hello and welcome to another episode of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. My name is Joe Montague and I am your host. And I realise that I haven't said that maybe for 60 odd episodes, which is absolutely atrocious form. I'm a regular listener of podcasts. I absolutely love them. And I was listening to one this week and I was thinking, how can I improve what I'm doing? I'm constantly trying to find ways of getting slightly better at everything I'm doing. And I realized that I never, ever introduce myself. Um, I tell you about all you need is drums and all that other stuff that I'm doing, but never tell you who I am. Um, and a lot of you may not go back to the beginning of the podcast and listen to the introduction thing that I made. Um, I mean, over two years ago now, well over two years ago now. So it's two years out of date. I should probably make another one or update that one. Um, so a lot of you may not know who I am. And it's just rude, the fact that I haven't even introduced myself. I'm terribly sorry. So this week, um, re- returning to the Ted Fletcher lectures after a couple of weeks off, um, I've got a nice short one for you to uh, to get you back into the swing of it. This one is named um, Some Thoughts on Spatial Sound. Um And I have a few more of these episodes to come. And as I said at the end of last episode, I'm building up a nice collection of interviews um, that will run after this little mini-series has concluded. Um, So we'll just get straight into it. Oh, and I should say before I start, um, as I've said with the last episodes, Ted has asked me to caveat these um, with just a bit of information. Um, Bear in mind that some of these were recorded... um, not recorded, but written um, some 20 odd years ago, and time has moved on quite significantly since then. Um, they're all, you know, the the actual sort of science in them is is completely correct. But he asked me just to let you um, to let you know that he's aware that some of it, some of the phrasing of things might be a little old, and they're not also. Um, it doesn't also provide a lot of context because they were made for university lectures and. Obviously, there's an assumption that the students know a little bit already. So he doesn't always provide the context written in the lecture notes. He would often go off piste and and sort of make up uh, the context of what he's saying um, in the moment, which he obviously doesn't have the opportunity to now. So just be aware of that as you're listening. So here we go. Depth. Some thoughts on spatial sound. Hugo Zuccarelli invented a new way of looking at the audio world. He took the idea of echolocation from the bats, and with typical vivid imagination, he moved the concept sideways, applying it to humans so that they have spatial awareness aided by holographic or holophonic sensing. I do not subscribe to his ideas. The notion of the human ear creating some sort of supersonic signal and then registering that signal and processing it to provide exact positioning ability goes far beyond my powers of faith, particularly as we have no evidence at all for any such transmission in the form of physical transmitter or any organ to decode the signal, even if it exists. While I'm certainly open to arguments involving things unseen, In this instance, I am happy that while the truths of hearing are mightily complex and interrelated, they do not include echolocation. My own work on spatial hearing certainly shows up some extraordinary abilities. 
How, for example, can a person with hearing in only one ear hear direction and positioning? How do we discern height? How do we perceive front from back? It's fashionable to wave one's arms in the air and mutter, Pinner effect. Interesting, but not the core of research. What's more interesting for me is the search for even better ways to reproduce sound in the most natural way possible. That is, including the dynamics and the quality, but most importantly, the space. Studies in spatial recognition. Ignoring loudspeakers and recorded sound for a moment, the way we recognise the spaces that we occupy is with a mass of interrelated cues and clues. It's my opinion that visual information is very much less important in this respect than has been thought. Eyesight may seem to be wide and sensitive, but in reality the field of view is extremely narrow, and so it contributes little to our constantly changing mind picture of the form of our environment. I believe that this spatial awareness is a constant in our minds, and is being continuously updated and modified by all of our senses, but of course, most importantly, by hearing. Yet, this updating is mostly from what we would describe as unimportant parts of audio input, from reflections of course, and from the relationships between direct and reflected sounds. And not only from sounds sensed by the ears, but also from the action of sound on all parts of the body. Infrasound via the diaphragm, LF and even some mid-frequencies modified by facial bone structure, and wideband frequencies directly through the skull. So we are an organism living and reacting to the space in which we exist, the knowledge and appreciation of which is being modified by all of our senses. Accurate loudspeaker listening. Possible? If we have this built-in, constantly updated model of our surroundings inside our head, then how is it possible to implant a totally new, artificially created model of another environment with some sort of audio playback? I have to say that the short answer is, we can't. But we can be ingenious, and we can create systems that accentuate those factors that are dominant in our spatial recognition, while ignoring those over which we can have little control. Suddenly, we are faced with practical difficulties. Ingenuity is all very well, but we live in a commercial world and practical systems need to be affordable. The conventional and simple answer has been to listen to recorded sound via a pair of loudspeakers. The interference being that a stereo signal will be reproduced via the loudspeakers such that a centrally placed performer will appear to be between the loudspeakers. Over the 60 years of its existence, two-speaker stereo has become totally accepted and has even been developed further to give a semblance of spatial effect. But as anyone can easily hear, the most elementary form of spatial listening via two loudspeakers can only be achieved in a carefully controlled environment with the listener positioned exactly at the sweet spot. Air sound. Partial answers to difficult questions. A fundamental problem of any attempt to reproduce spatial sound is an obvious one. The listener is in a real environment and practically cannot be removed from it. The artificial environment is going to be modified and will interact with the real one, affecting the perception. I believe that Alan Blumline understood and appreciated this during his original work on spatial sound recording in 1934. 
Interestingly, it is not known exactly how he listened to his own pioneering recordings except that he used multiple loudspeakers. Had he lived, I like to think that Blumline would have developed a system not unlike air sound for EMI in the years following the Second World War. But sadly, he was killed in an air crash and his work was shelved, only to be rediscovered very much later. Two loudspeaker systems became the norm and the word stereo, meaning solid, came to take on other meanings. By understanding the over-elementary thinking and arithmetic of Blundline, it is relatively easy to manufacture a loudspeaker that will produce spatial effects on par with two-speaker systems. After all, with two loudspeakers, the listener is trying to hear a performance from somewhere in between the loudspeakers. It is a virtual image. With a single-point system, the main information is coming from the loudspeaker directly. It is the spatial information that is virtual, as it should be. But there is a lot more to this than simply trying to replace the two-speaker system. Admirable as that may be, there is scope for going very much further with the original aim, to reproduce spatial sound properly. With air sound, the audio signal has been converted from left to right to main and spatial. This offers a major advantage over other systems. It gives separate control over the spatial information, so we can enhance it to give greater input clues to our personal inbuilt model of space. I'm certain that Blumline had no detail understanding the importance of the accuracy of the generation of spatial information. Experiments show that extremely, even vanishingly, small errors in timing degrade this information, causing our brains to reject the input. This effect can be heard easily by listening to a conventional two-speaker system and moving out of the sweet spot. The path length from the two loudspeakers is varied and the spatial picture degrades. Note, the degradation is entirely inside your head. Absolute accurate timing, as good as could be achieved in the original recording, when properly reproduced, can produce a spatial environment that is in focus and solid. The very best two-speaker systems are capable of excellent directional performance, but the limitations of the sweet spot are severe, and to hear the best possible space it would be necessary to bolt one's head stationary. This is another of the marks of superiority of air sound over two-speaker systems. There is no need to keep still. The spatial information is always there, much like a hologram where the original picture can be cut in half and it simply produces two complete pictures. Height There are yet another set of parameters interfering with clarity, and this is to do with the way that loudspeakers operate. A loudspeaker responds to the current flowing in a coil in a magnetic field. A power amplifier produces an output voltage, and the current is a function of the loudspeaker impedance. This means that while the amplifier might perform very well, and the loudspeaker may be very good, they are two entirely separate entities. Latest air sound experiments use a new technology such that the sound pressures produced in the air are from loudspeaker amplifier combinations that is both predictable and accurate. This produces an even more sharply air sound spatial image. An even more exciting result of the use of controlled current transducers is the unexpected appearance of height information on some classical recordings. Presently, this is a hit-and-miss event that occurs unexpectedly during some classical recordings, but it does seem to follow the use of these very high-resolution replay systems. 
and it is a certain fact that this height information is delicate and highly sensitive, disappearing as soon as any distorting anomalies appear. Status I suppose we have been working now for over four years on this path to audible space. The very first experiments were startling and exciting, and parallel research in other countries has spawned commercial product, but with inbuilt faults and failures. But AirSound is a successful collection of ideas, a dynamic resource of research and achievement. From the miniature T3 with its extraordinary aura of space around the head, to the T12, a middle-of-the-road hi-fi system that makes TV movies come to life, and on to new developments with these high-resolution systems in the T21 and T1 project. Spatial sound has developed from a simple but superior alternative to two-speaker systems to the most exciting and beautiful audio there has ever been. So there we have it, episode number four. I hope you enjoyed that. I found that one particularly interesting and I had a little Google um, of these the speaker systems and they do exist mostly as um, the one bar systems that you get underneath your tellies. Uh, I don't have a fancy TV or <laughs> anything like that. Um, but they're those sort of small bars that you'll have seen underneath TVs and they're, they're very highly regarded, um, which makes complete sense. And uh, obviously similar to you, I won't have seen too many in recording studios um, however, I am slightly intrigued. I'd be interested to listen to some music on one and, and uh, get kind of some perspective and the contrast between sort of stereo monitoring systems and, and this one bar monitoring system. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed that and we'll be back next week with some more from Ted Fletcher. And that just leaves me to say, if you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do that. My website is allyouneedisdrums.com. Also on Instagram at allyouneedisdrums. Uh, you can find out about all of the drum sessions that I do. Uh, you can find out about my studio and the free drums that I give away every week, all on my website there. And um, also, I'd like to say a big thank you to Adam Mallet for the artwork that he supplies for this podcast, to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music, and to Rory Hancock for editing and uploading the podcast and making all of it possible. And thank you most of all to you for listening. I will be back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.